Well, good morning, beloved. Good morning. good morning. It's good to see you here this morning on this bright, sunny day. Let's open our Bibles to first, or Second Peter chapter three. I'm going to read the passage for us here in just a moment, but uh, just just a, a word, a comment, and we're going to have prayer. Uh, as Kurt mentioned uh, last week, we certainly did make an historic decision to leave the Church of the Brethren and to affiliate with the Covenant Brethren Church. Um, if you have noticed in our world these days, the lines between truth and error are becoming more and more distinct. The, the difference in attitudes between folks who know the Lord and want to honor Him in every area of life, as opposed to those who are just opposed to Him, or maybe are just kind of in the middle and neutral, and uh, they like God, but they're not really, really willing to take any risks for Him. Those distinctions, I think, are becoming more and more evident. And we're not surprised at that at all because it talks about those kinds of things in the scriptures. We may even touch on some of those things in the morning message today. But as we go to prayer this morning, I would like for us to pray for courage and strength to stand for what is right, even though the rest of the world stands against them. I would like for us to pray for one another, that we would encourage one another, that we would strengthen one another. It's hard to stand alone, but when you stand together for what you believe in the Word of God, it's not easy, but it's easier. I think you understand what I'm saying. We need one another. I've said this many, many times. We need one another now more than ever before. And we will need one another increasingly as the days go by. So let's pray for the world in which we live. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray that Jesus Christ will be glorified in these days. Join me, please. Heavenly Father, you have called us to live in these days. It is not a mistake that we are here. It is not a mistake that we are alive at this point in history. Father, as we think about our own lives, we, we tend to think kind of small. We just want to live a quiet and a peaceful life. We want to be able to go to work and go to school and come home and enjoy our families and be unmolested, be able to enjoy the privileges and the rights and all those things, the blessings that we've enjoyed in this nation. You have blessed us in so many incredible ways. But Father, our nation has turned its back upon you. We have taken your blessings for granted and in fact, like that unfaithful wife in Hosea who provided for her, we have taken what you have provided for us 
and squandered it on our own sinful lusts. And so, Father, we shouldn't be surprised that we are now a nation under your judgment. And Lord, even we, your church, have failed, and we are guilty. We have been silent far too long as we have seen people turning away from you, as we have seen God made fun of in the public square. We have been silent. And truth be told, we haven't really made it the matter of prayer that we should have. We've shaken our heads in dismay and we've said, my goodness, I don't know how we've gotten to this point. And Father, maybe it's because the salt has lost its saltiness and because the light has grown dim. So Father, we ask first of all that you would search our own hearts and try our own thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in us because Lord, we want to confess it. We want to turn from it. We want to become the kind of individual believers that you want us to be. We want to be the kind of church that you want us to be. One that honors you. One that stands for truth. One that does so even in the midst of the darkness of this world. Father, we want to pray for our nation. We want to pray for those churches throughout this land that are upholding the Word of God. And we thank you for them, and we thank you for their pastors, and we pray, Father, that you will make those congregations strong, make their leaders strong, and to be of one heart and one mind. And that, Father, your church would experience revival, that we would grow in our faith, that we would grow in our witness, and that we would have the joy and privilege of seeing others coming to know Jesus Christ. Father, make us an evangelistic congregation. Help us to reach out to the folks that are around us and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us to be able to live in such ways that people see us and they see a difference and they ask us, because Father, when they ask, their hearts are much more open and ready to receive. Heavenly Father, we pray for our national leaders. We pray for the decisions that are being made, the, the bills and the laws that are being considered. Heavenly Father, we pray that truth and righteousness will prevail. We pray that we might follow your word, that we might declare that what is wrong is wrong, and that what is right is truly right. And Father, we ask that you would open the eyes and the hearts of our elected leaders, whether at the national, state, or local level, and that they will begin to see this world from your perspective. For those who are believers in government, Make them like Daniel. Make them strong. Make them steadfast. For those, Lord, that might be waffling and kind of on the fence, Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction to their hearts 
that they would do what is right, that they would submit themselves first of all to you, that they would take a stand for what is true and right. And Father, for those who are openly opposed to you, Father, work in their hearts, bring conviction to their souls. Saul was openly opposed to you and was instrumental in arresting the Christians in the early days of the church and bringing them before the council and even consenting to their death. But one day you struck him down on the road and you opened his eyes and Saul went from the persecutor of the church to the greatest apostle that the church had ever known. Lord, we would pray that even today. That those who are so opposed to you would be transformed. That your spirit would bring such powerful conviction in their lives that they would be transformed. Father, open our hearts now as we look into your word. Help us to see there the things that you want us to, to see and to know. And may the nearness of your coming be the motivating factor, the driving force in our lives that we might live holy, pure lives for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the advancement of the gospel. We pray it in his precious name. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 3 is where we are, starting in verse 10. I do have to make a little correction on last week. I said... That John 3.17 was the, uh, the verse where God says that we are uh, condemned already. I'm, I'm sorry, that was actually verse 18 of that same chapter. Verses 16 and 17 speak about the salvation that Jesus Christ provides. And verses 18 and 19 talk about that condemnation that the world is under. Which is, of course, why we need that salvation. So... Let's begin in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God has opened the door to salvation. And God does not delight in the death of the sinner. But because God is holy, because He is righteous, because He is just, sin will be dealt with. And, and sin is not just some disembodied thing. Sin is what resides in every single human being. Scripture tells us that we are born in sin. 
We come into this world, not as the world says, as kind of like neutral people that we then are shaped by our environment. No, sin says, all, or scripture says that all have sinned. All of us. We are born in rebellion against God. Now when you look at those sweet little babies, they sure don't look like sinners, do they? Except when they wake you up at 2 a.m. demanding that you give up your sleep to take care of their need. And then you begin to think, well, maybe there is a little bit of sin in these kids, you know? Sin expresses itself in all kinds of ways. And not every person expresses that sinful, rebellious heart against Almighty God in the same way. There are some very nice, kind, loving sinners. But they are sinners nevertheless. Because they are in rebellion against Almighty God. And it doesn't matter how nice and sweet and good they might be. They do not meet God's standard of protection or of perfection. And so therefore God sent His Son into this world to take upon Himself our guilt, our sin, to die in our place, to suffer the punishment of God's wrath upon Himself so that we who believe in Him can be set free. We can be forgiven. We can begin to enjoy eternal life right here and now. It's the same message that God pronounced in the Old Testament. Some of my favorite passages are found in Ezekiel 18, verse 23. He says, Do I have it? This is God speaking. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the Lord God. Rather than that he should turn from his ways and live. God doesn't delight in bringing judgment. God delights in bringing forgiveness. But the issue is with us. We need to turn from our ways and turn to God and live. Later in the same chapter, verse 32, he says this, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, <coughs> declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. And again in Ezekiel 33, 11, say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why should you die, O house of Israel? In the context, of course, he's pleading with his own people, the nation of Israel, that they would turn to him and be forgiven and live but it extends to all mankind. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. Micah chapter 7 verse 18 asks this question, Who is like you, God, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in mercy. God had brought the nation of Israel, His own people, into captivity. He was bringing judgment upon them and they were dying. Why? Because God wanted them to turn to Him and repent and live. 
The problem with sin is that it makes you and me incredibly stubborn. We don't want to listen to what God says. And God applies a little more pressure. And we don't want to listen to what God says and He applies a little more pressure. It's kind of like one of those nutcrackers. I remember as a kid we had one when I was growing up and it had a little screw on the one end and you put the nut down in here and you just keep tightening the screw and eventually what would happen to the shell would go kaboom! And then you could have all the little nut meats inside. God brings pressure into our lives and if we don't yield to that pressure, it will eventually destroy us. Not because God takes delight in it, but because we, as sinful human beings, are too stubborn and too filled with pride and too arrogant to turn to God and be saved. That was part of the problem of those false teachers that we've talked about in the last couple weeks in the earlier part of this chapter. They wanted to teach a, a lesson that was appealing to those stubborn, arrogant, prideful people. You can have God and you can have your sin too. But beloved, that never works. That doesn't work at all. God, though He is gracious, though He is kind, though He does not delight in the death of the wicked, though He extends mercy and extends patience, has determined that He will not do that forever. There is a day when the end will come. Scripture calls it the day of the Lord, and as we look at that phrase from the beginning all the way through to the book of Revelation, we see that the day of the Lord is a multifaceted event. It's not just one 24-hour moment. It's not just one particular point in time. It's a whole cluster of events. And God is doing all kinds of things. He's working again with His own chosen people who have been so stubborn through the years that even to this very day, the vast majority of Jewish people around the world Though they may mouth the word of Almighty, they are disbelieving in Jesus Christ, His only Son. They don't, they don't accept Jesus as the Messiah. And God keeps bringing pressure, keeps bringing pressure, keeps bringing pressure. But it looks like we don't expect it to. I mean, who expects the threat of international warfare to be a spiritual thing. You know, who, who expects that? Who expects political uh, desires and laws and stuff to be primarily spiritual at their very core? Well, that's how God works. If you don't want to look at what God is doing, if you don't want to listen to God, if you're not interested in what the Word of God says, you'll look at all these circumstances in life and you'll say, man, this is just hard living. You know, it's, it's war and it's politics and it's, it's all this stuff. And you will not see the hand of God behind all of it. But if you have a heart that's in tune with the Word of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you ask Him to give you wisdom and insight, 
you'll be able to see that behind all the surface stuff that's going on in our world today, there is a profound spiritual battle taking place. And it's happening because this world is moving in a direction. It is moving from creation and the fall now to the point of judgment. There is a day of the Lord that is coming. It's a period of time. I believe it begins, and I wish we had time to go through all this today. I believe it begins, as Scripture talks about, with the rapture of the church, where Jesus Christ removes the church. I mean by that, the genuine believers in Him. If the rapture were to happen at this moment, how many of you would be sitting in the pew after it took place? Because you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You mouth the words. You show up Sunday after Sunday. You go through the motions. But there has never been a change in your heart and life. You are as proud. You are as arrogant. You are as stubborn as ever you have been in relationship to Jesus Christ. When the day of the Lord begins, you will be left. Doesn't have to be that way. Doesn't have to be that way. Right now in the seat you're sitting in, you can turn to Jesus Christ and in the quietness of your heart say, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I have been stubborn. I have been filled with pride. I have resisted you. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And He will forgive you. He will forgive you. And He will begin to transform your life. That day of the Lord will continue on and there will be tremendous goings on on this earth. Satan will be openly and actively seeking to set up a kingdom through a person called the Antichrist. And he will be persecuting everything that has anything to do with God. God once again will begin working with his nation, Israel. And there will be a group of Israelites who up until that moment have had their eyes blinded, but then they will begin to see and they will turn to Jesus Christ as the Messiah and they will become evangelists and there will be people during that period of tribulation who will turn to Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that for the most part they will seal their testimony with their blood. They'll become martyrs. And onward and steadily the, the day of God will move. And, and Satan and the Antichrist will eventually gain mastery and control and they'll bring armies to Jerusalem and they'll seek to destroy the city of Jerusalem. They'll seek to destroy God's people because it is to the city of Jerusalem and through God's people that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the rightful ruler of the universe, will come. And that event will take place. And Jesus Christ will sit and rule and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem, in the temple. 
And he will judge the world and he will establish his kingdom. And that kingdom on this earth will last for a thousand years. It's like a prelude. It's like the entryway, the foyer. It's not designed to be permanent here, but it's designed to give the world a little foretaste of what eternity with Jesus Christ is going to be like. Those who survive the tribulation, who are believers in Jesus Christ, they come to know Him as the Messiah during that period, they're going to enter into the millennium. And they're going to have babies, and they're going to repopulate the world. And it'll be an amazing, amazing population at the end of that thousand years. But the problem is the human heart will not have changed. Because although only believers enter the millennium, those sweet little babies that are born to them will come with that same sin nature. You see, one of the things that has been said is that people are bad because, well, we have a bad education system. You know, not everybody gets the same education. It's, it's not all equal for everybody. We have a bad economic system. Some are poor and some are rich. And so the poor ones, you know, they, they tend to go out and steal and rob. But not, not because they want to, but just because they're poor and, and they're trying to you know, make their way in life. We've blamed everything on the externals. Bad policy, bad politics, bad education, bad economics, bad, 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 whatever. So for 1,000 years, God is going to give humanity a perfect environment. The knowledge of Him will cover, uh, will, will permeate humanity like the waters cover the ocean. I think all the ocean is wet, you know, and it's pretty well covered with water. And there's not going to be war. There's not going to be sickness. There's not going to be disease. There's not going to be, well, there will be some death because every once in a while somebody will become so rebellious that God will put them to death in the millennium, but that will be pretty rare. Pretty rare. And all of the things that we say are the external reasons for our problem are going to be eliminated. And most everybody will just kind of go along with the program. They'll harbor that same sin in their hearts, but they'll go along because it seems like the program's working. And at the end of that thousand years, God will provide an opportunity for people to show what's really in their hearts. Satan, who had been bound at the beginning of the millennium, will be set loose. And all those whose hearts were not changed, all those who really were quietly rebelling against God, even through that millennial period, will quickly follow Satan's lead in another rebellion. But it won't go very far. God will bring it to an end very quickly. And it's at that moment something amazing happens. That's what Peter talks about here. Peter, when he talks about the day of the Lord, he's talking about everything that I just described. That whole section of time. From the rapture of the church until the end of the millennium. Notice what Peter says. 
The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It's going to start like nobody expects it. You don't expect a thief to show up, do you? You don't expect that. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. All of a sudden, in one comma, we have leaped all the way to the end of the millennium. Because the heavens don't pass away with a great noise when the church goes out. The heavens don't pass away with a great noise when the Antichrist arises. The heavens don't pass away with a great noise when Jesus Christ returns and sets foot on the Mount of Olives. The heavens don't pass away, the earth doesn't pass away during the millennium. That happens at the end. At the end of the millennial kingdom. And notice how Peter describes it. He says they will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Not only this terrestrial ball, but all the stuff. Beloved, understand this. The cars, the houses, the lands, the possessions, the iPads, the tablets, all the stuff that you and I work for, that we think is so important and so valuable, and it really becomes our identity. All that stuff is going to be destroyed. It's not going to last. You know that already, because as soon as you buy this version iPad, the next one's out and yours is old. It doesn't last. There was a little song or a little poem uh, years ago. I haven't heard it in ages. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Boy, is that ever true. What you invest your life in, if it is not the things that God has called you to invest your life in, it's going to be lost, it's going to be wasted, it's going to be meaningless, it's going to be destroyed. But if you invest your life in what God calls you to invest it in, it will last. It will last. Something interesting about this sentence here, in verse 10, he says, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. That sounds like it's in the future, doesn't it? In the original language, it's in the Greek, in, in the present tense. They are passing away now. The process has already begun now. We don't have to wait. I've got bad news for our evolutionists. You know, they look out into the night sky, they look around, and they see all the destruction that's taking place. So that if you look, for example, in a gas cloud that's visible in the constellation Orion, and it's a gas cloud that's spread out in huge volumes, sizes I can't even begin to comprehend, there's little bits of glowing this and that here and there throughout this gas cloud. Scientists will say, oh, that's a stellar nursery. Look at that, the little stars are being born. And, and they have this amazing theory that, you know, there's little particles here and they swirl around and they gather other little particles and they all come together and then they start to glow and they start to do these things. And after a couple million years, we'll have a new star there. 
Remember last week I talked about the flood? And I said about the layers and you expect all the little microscopic plankton and stuff down here at the bottom and then little creatures and bigger creatures and bigger creatures and all the way up to the top. That's exactly what you'd expect in the flood. Let me suggest that these gigantic black gas clouds and places where stars explode, and we see stars explode, things where we see the, the universe kind of coming apart at times, it's exactly what Peter says. It's already happening. You might want to try to interpret that as the birth of life, but it's not. It's evidence of the coming judgment of Almighty God. Same facts, the same evidence that we see, one interpreted through a, a, an evolutionary, let's throw God out of the equation perspective, the other understood through the pages of Scripture. One leads to life. One leads to death. Follow the evolutionary model. You're going to find yourself in a godless world and you're going to be judged and condemned forever. Follow the scriptural admonition and you'll find yourself in the presence of Jesus Christ forever and ever. Peter goes on. He says these things are going to pass away with great heat, with, with great noise, fervent heat. The earth and the works will be burned up. Now here's the point. Therefore, since all these things, this is another present tense verb, are being dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? If I told you that at 3 o'clock this afternoon uh, your house would burst into flames, would you take any precaution to prevent that from happening? If you knew it was going to happen? Would you take any effort to get things out of it that maybe you thought were precious and important? If you knew some tragedy was coming, would you do anything at all to turn from that tragedy or to maybe prevent it from happening, of course you would. Beloved, <laughs> there is a tragedy coming of eternal consequence. And we are fools if we do nothing. Especially when God has made the way of escape very, very clear. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. It's through a confession of sin and an asking of forgiveness and turning from those old ways, turning to the things of God. And then we don't have to worry. When, when this all happens, where are you and I going to be as believers in Christ? We're going to be right there with Him. Preserved and protected. And we'll see this universe vanish in the greatest nuclear conflagration that this universe has ever seen. 
I mean, that's really what it would be, I think. Colossians 1 talks about Christ holding all things together through the, the, the power of His might. All He has to do is let go, and the atoms fly apart. We have to work real hard to split an atom. It's not an easy process. But it is for God. He put them together to start with. And He can just simply let go of them. It's gone. And we will have the joy and privilege of seeing what no eye had ever seen before other than some angelic creatures and that is the creation of a new heavens and new earth. Wow! <laughs> what awesome power our God has! What, what incredible might and strength! I mean, we look at this world, which is a fallen world, a broken world, a world that's already experienced numerous judgments of God, and we say that it's beautiful. We say that it's lovely. We see the sunset, and we see the sunrise, and we hear the birds, and, and we look out across a, a field of ripening grain, and we say, wow, isn't this amazing? Isn't this beautiful? You ain't seen anything yet. I can't begin to fathom what that new heavens and new earth is going to be like. But it will not be any less than what we have now. And it will be far, far greater. You think you've seen beauty in the, the created world thus far? I think God is going to give us an incredible universe that we can explore forever and rejoice in His goodness, in His love, in His mercy, in His creativity. The mind just can't begin to comprehend it. But beloved, the point that Peter wants to drive home is right there in verse 11. And again, what kind of person should you be? What are the priorities of your life? Are you really preparing for eternity with God? Or are you still entangled in all the stuff of this world that distracts us and draws us away from Him? Are you developing godly character in your life? Do you really want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant when you stand before Him? I mean, we'd all like that, but do you want it? Because if you want that, it will transform your behavior today. Now, please don't think that I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. This is first and foremost for Roger. Because I have to make the same decisions of priorities that you have to make. I, I have to, to say no to temptations when temptations come. And believe me, brother, they come. We're in the same boat, you and I. We're dealing with the same life, the same problems, the same fears, the same doubts, the same questions, the same pressures. We're dealing with it together. And as we do that, we need to do it with our eyes fixed on eternity and let the goal determine the decision today. If we don't, We'll get to heaven because God is faithful when His children cry out to Him for forgiveness. 
but we might not hear a well done. It might be like that guy that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 10. He says you can build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's no other foundation that we can lay, but you can build your life. You can use wood, hay, straw, or gold, silver, and precious stones. What's the quality of your work? Because it's going to be tested. And if it's wood, hay, and straw, guess what? It's going to be burned up. And Paul goes on to say, he'll be saved, because he's on the foundation, yet so as one running through the flames. All the stuff that we thought was important in our life and we invested in it, all of a sudden now we find that in light of eternity it wasn't important at all. It was a waste. Are you wasting your life? Are you wasting it? Or are you using it for the glory of Jesus Christ? Seeing that all these things will be dissolved literally are being dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for, anticipating, and hastening the coming of the day of God. Beloved, I don't know what the next couple of years will hold for us. I don't know. Socially, politically, economically, I have no clue. Everything that you and I think we own is only on paper anyway. And it could go like that. But I know this. I want to be found faithful to the Lord when the day of the Lord comes. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So I would encourage all of us, if you're like me, join me in trying to live a holy life. Saying no to the things that distract us from truth and righteousness and justice and judgment and, and, and holiness. And saying yes to those things that encourage that. Let's keep getting together and encourage one another. It's interesting, in Hebrews 10 it talks about that. It says... Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but all the more, in other words, keep doing it more and more and more, as you see the day approach. This is not the time for the church to go away and be scattered. This is the time for the church to come together, to build one another up, to encourage, to strengthen, to support one another. All the more as you see the day approach. What might be the tactic of the evil one? Just flip that around. Let's divide and conquer. Beloved, the things happening in our world are spiritual at their very core and we need to get serious about our relationship with Christ. Let's pray together. Before I lead us in prayer, beloved, maybe you need to do business with the Lord. There needs to be a little bit of confession. Maybe there needs to be a renewal.
renewed commitment to living a, a holy life, a life that's distinct from the standards of the world. So whatever that is, take this minute to bring it to the Lord. challenges us and it is exactly where we are living today this book is not about some far away long ago fairy tale no this is about where we live on March the 7th 2021 and it's about where we're going to live in eternity Lord Jesus I pray for each of the folks here today for those who may be listening to the rebroadcast of the program later. Lord, I pray that their hearts and minds would be open and that your spirit would speak and that every single person would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ if they have not done so yet. And Father, help all of us as your children to be obedient to you, to put you first above everything else so that nothing distracts us from you. Help us, Father. The world is not our friend. Those things that seem attractive, those things that seem neutral, those things that seem innocent, Father, if they do not draw us to Christ, they are drawing us away. Give us wisdom, give us discernment, Help us to live in these days for the glory of Jesus Christ and to be able to share the hope that we have in Him with those around us. Lord, we are so thankful that You are a God of mercy, You are a God of grace, You are a God of forgiveness, and You always receive those who come to You. What joy, what hope, what peace. Thank you, Father. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And take heart.